Griffin, here's the thing that I was telling you I was going to show you. It's a tweet. I want to read it to you because it's the craziest thing I've read in a long, long time. Um, okay. This is, this is from David Bixen's band, Wrestling Analyst. Perfect. Lux has already lagged out. And Lux has already lagged out from the top of the show. Folks, welcome. We're doing a show that's just me this week. That's right. We're Lux. You know, normally Lux lags out like in the middle of the show or in the third quarter. But no, he's doing it right off the top. That's right. It's just me this week, folks. What's happening? What's going on? Of course, uh, we have uh, we have uh, my new co-host here, Brother Dom. Brother Dom, how are you? Hey, it's me, Dom. Okay, Brother Dom, I'm doing well. How about yourself? It's it's so nice to meet you. Now I know Lux Lux met you on Twitter. You know some of the people I meet on Twitter, I prefer them over people I've met in real life. <laughs> Your thoughts? Uh yep. Twitter is, despite being a toxic waste dump, there's a lot of cool people there. So we sit on the outskirts of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I feel like during the pandemic, we really trend. I mean, I think a lot of people didn't made the full break away from Facebook. Right. And now, and now most people are spending more time on Twitter. Um, yeah, I, the, the Twitter population is definitely a more evil twisted population, but I, I find more alike. I find more to relate to with them than the, the denizens of the Facebooks. Oh yeah, I'd agree. I'd say Twitter has the whole thing of chaotic, good and chaotic evil, where it's just Facebook's kind of just like, neutral evil just in general so <laughs> yeah higher peaks higher valleys lower valleys yeah there is like really it, it, there is no neutrality on twitter and i guess that's why we all well we all come in there for it totally dom what do you podcast what do you what's your podcast uh my podcast is called character reveal it's a show where we interview creators or people just doing cool stuff so podcasters like yourself uh twitch streamers artists scientists and we try to interview them a little bit more than just be on the morning radio and late time talk show kind of stuff. Mm. And then between that, we do like a weekly pop culture recap just to keep the content wheel churning. Scientists, huh? I, I fancy myself a bit of a social scientist. Oh, yeah. Like uh, sociology, you'd say, or, or like YouTube <laughs> prank channels, sociologists. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, did you, did you speak of YouTube prank channels? Did you hear about that guy that got killed recently? Um. He, he was doing a hilarious prank where he approached a group of people with like a a giant like sword or like a oh, machete yeah. or something. And then they just shot him. Oh, no, they were defending I themselves. About, I thought you were talking. There's this ARG that's been going on. And they just dropped an update today where some prank YouTuber, quote unquote, killed a guy. But it's we know it's all fake. But no, I heard about the thing you're talking about, too. That's surprised it took this long but sad mm -hmm. nonetheless I, it's very depressing no yeah it, it is it is tragic in a way but i mean you gotta think i mean it's like if if there is an entertainment culture that involves threatening people with weapons maybe it's a genre that doesn't deserve to survive yeah i don't know <laughs> i hope this will be i hope it's the situation of no one else will do this now let's hope it's just this one guy but <laughs> I don't know. I'm surprised at how many things we have to tell people not to do. Like, hey, don't chase people with a sword. Don't film dead bodies. Don't harass people. But hey, you know, Wild West out there. You know, that even for even if you film a dead body, apparently uh, there is redemption through uh, UFC style cage matches, apparently. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you're willing to say, you know what, I'll get punched in the face. People are willing to grant you some grace. <laughs> you know, you're not hiding behind a keyboard as much. So. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, it's like when I think of pranks, like I think my when I think of my favorite pranks, sure, certainly there were some good ones in Jackass, but like even more recently, I think what inspired the YouTube pranksters was like Eric Andre in a big way. Like the Eric Andre show did so many street pranks. Were you, were you a fan of the show? Um, I've seen it a little bit and it's one of those things that I appreciate, but I can't watch it too long. It's, it goes too <laughs> yeah. hard into the cringe comedy and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the thing about most of Eric's pranks were like they were visceral and insane, but like typically it was things happening to him. He wasn't he wasn't like spreading violence or implied violence to like other people. Like most of the chaos was contained to like his personal experience. And he wasn't like he wasn't like he wasn't attacking someone else. He was usually being attacked or something. And I think that's a key difference uh, between, uh, you know, like uh, if, if someone else if you want to just freak people out by like someone like getting beat up or something, that's one thing. But going and saying, I'm going to prank people by looking like I'm about to beat them up. It's maybe a crossing a line. Right. Like who's, who's the subject of the joke? Is it the, is it the comedian or is it the subject, you know, even impractical jokers, they're messing with people, but ultimately it's like, we're embarrassing ourselves. So I think people are willing to pallet that a little bit more. We're um, not in, taking the uh, chaos to others. We're talking about pranks now. That's so we're, <laughs> okay. Cool. Something I'm comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. We're we're talking about the YouTube prankster who died. Oh yeah. Oof. Um. Man, it's that shit. You just I. That's so sad to me when people just try and like take a bit so far that they literally kill themselves. Um. Or like Would get you- themselves killed. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, it's like they were threatening someone's life. I think yeah. that like, I get, is it sad? And like, if someone was that dumb kind yeah, of way, like yeah, when, exactly. So like when someone falls off a waterfall or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's sort of what I mean that like, there's a, <laughs> the, it's sort of like, why, why we got to be like this? Like you got to Like you got to think about what you're doing a little bit more than, than the shit. And it's, ugh, it makes me, it bums me out. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I, I don't feel bad that, that you got consequences of your actions, but I feel bad that, something in your life led to those actions, you know, like, yeah, most people aren't out here threatening people with swords to get views on YouTube. So like, I feel wow. bad that something led to that. But I pranked the- you originally, someone must have pranked <laughs> him yeah, very hard. Totally, It's a real <laughs> revenge thing. But yeah, it's more that's I guess that's more <laughs> what I'm sad about is like, how do you get to the point where like, that's the shit you're doing instead of like, yeah, because mm-hmm. you yeah, should have consequences for that. Um, yeah, consequences. All right. Mm-hmm. Speaking of consequences, I I gotta get your guys' reaction to this thing that I found. Second uh, attempt. Here we go, guys. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a no hit run. We did have one death already yeah, on the like, on your internet connection. Let's see if we can do it on round two. Okay. <laughs> so to quote, this first post is from Matthew Randazzo, who says. Breaking, insane. There are posts online that indicate that the mother of radical right-wing extremist report, uh, Representative Lauren Boebert claims her daughter is the product of an incestuous liaison with her cousin, legendary pro wrestler Stan Lane of the Midnight Express. Um, here is one of those posts from her mom. Will Stan Lane be there? Perhaps he can introduce his 26-year-old daughter, Lauren Roberts Boebert, who has refused to acknowledge who he has refused to acknowledge all these years. She looks so much like his mom, who just turned 93 and sadly has never met her granddaughter and four grandchildren. By the way, I'm Stan's maternal first cousin. There might be a 1990 fraternity fraud, but 2013 autosomal DNA is awesome. So how do we feel about I, this breaking I, I news? Don't, I don't understand at all what you just said. Like, can you can you zoom out and like give me the log line? <laughs> the log, like, the you, log you, you just said a gobbledygook. Line, I don't know if I'm bad at listening. I think or that's what, a, 100% like, that one is the answer. <laughs> um, but so the the short version is Laura, Lauren Bobbert, our favorite crazy representative. Her mom claims that, in fact, her father is her own cousin or her mom's own cousin, professional wrestler Stan Lane. <laughs> 
so Lauren's father is also her mom's cousin. <laughs> her mom's cousin. What does that mean? Is that bad? Yeah, that's incest. That sounds dog. American. Dog, that's, <laughs> that's like acceptable for like British royalty type incest. Is what that is. Is it a, bl- is it a blood cousin or is it it's a, a it, apparently it, it's a blood cousin? Okay. Oh, they didn't need to do it, but they did it. Yeah, and then she's out here like making it like a thing. Like she's the one who's bringing this discussion into the world, like the mom, which seems crazy to me. Griffin, I'm, I can't believe this isn't getting more out of you. <laughs> it's, it feels like one of those things that just freezes you. And you're like, what What do I do with this information? Why did someone exactly. bring it up? How did it happen? Why <laughs> did it happen? You, you stun locked both of us. I mean, we, were like, we cannot like use any of our moves right now. <laughs> um, I mean, listen, like I think that obviously what well, we've seen that, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of maybe prematurely handpicked Lauren Bobert as the it girl of Congress. And then Marjorie Taylor Greene came along and sort of ate her lunch. This seems to me to be a play to get some of that traction back going, get the heat going back under the Bobert report again. So I, I, I'm happy to see it. Marjorie has been a little played out and I'm looking for a new meta. Oh, I think man. it's uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of cheesing the meta, really, because <laughs> yes, I don't think you necessarily should get all the defining points just based on your spawn point, right? So, yeah. oh, I, I'm the product of something my my mom and I guess her cousin did. <laughs> okay, like, but, but what are your stats? Where was your grinding? Whereas, you know, Marjorie's out here, like, she's grinding on the QAnon board. She's going, it's true. she's going to the realms. She's doing the work, so that's, I don't know. <laughs> really well put. Now, Marjorie is putting in the work to get these points, for sure. Yeah, and Bobert is trying to shortcut it. I mean, I guess it shows which one's the real, true, dedicated total psycho. Um, mm-hmm. Who's really yeah. going for gold in that fucking category that we all love to see? She got the expansion packs, so you know. Yeah, she put in the uh, money. She put in the time. She's just like Griffin on Vanilla WoW, just nonstop, just nonstop getting levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, and I, I, again, again, I'll just say like, yeah, it's like Lauren definitely, um, yeah, her spawn point of like being born out of a gun. Uh, like into like shooters grill Colorado. I think that's all great stuff. Um, but, but yeah, it does, it does seem like, um, I want her to be S tier. I think she can be in like an, in the next patch. And if this next patch includes some incest, well, uh, we might be well on the, on the way to something well, here. Welcome back to game of Thrones season one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And welcome back folks to the game boys podcast. Oh. That's right. We are 11 minutes in <laughs> intro swish swish. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Griffin. And I'm the other one, Lux. And we're joined, of course, by a producer, Haley. And uh, the guest, Dom, which I introduced at the top. Um, guest slash temporary <laughs> co-host, Dom, on the show. Temporary co-host. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Dom, you got Sonic Mania behind you. You big Sonic guy? Uh, that's an understatement and my biggest <laughs> no. disaster. What if you said no? Like, I, don't know what that, I don't know what that is. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a like anything thing. to me. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, I would like to say that it's purposely curating my background but when we moved to a new apartment my partner and i were like well where do we put all this stuff and this was just the spot that it stood and i think it works out so i mean it's i do love sonic it's my favorite franchise Mm -hmm. um it's not my most played necessarily because the last 10 years but i quite love sonic the hedgehog and all the lore around it even the dumb stuff 
Totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, like some of the, you know, some of the most romantic scenes in any video game, some of the best kisses in any video game. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> um, you know, Sonic, I played Mania and I believe Sonic Mania was sort of, uh, was for the Switch, correct? And it was like a collection of yeah. Sonic games or at least a collection of Sonic ideas. Yeah, that was uh, released on, I think, all platforms that were available at the time. So like no uh, PS5, Xbox, Series X, but PC, Switch, the Xbox and Playstations. And uh, it was basically Sega kept striking out and the fans were like, do this, do that. And Sega said, fine, you're so good at it. You do it yourself. And they said, OK, and gave them the highest rated game, best selling game they've had in 15 years. <laughs> and it uh, is a collection of uh, stages from old games repurposed with new ideas and new stages with you'll see mechanics from other games like oh that's from the game gear game even though that stage isn't here that weird bubble thing is there from it so oh well that Hmm. is that is pretty sweet um i never got on sonic mania what is it about sonic and the sonic games that makes it like your favorite your favorite john um you know i'd like to give you some really deep insightful thing but i think it was that was the game that i saw my dad playing when i was younger that i could understand uh i saw him play duck hunt i couldn't really figure out the light gun thing i'm like i'm pressing the gun to the tv why is it missing (laughs) um mario was a little bit too slow and tricky for like my four-year-old i need to see things going but sonic was like hey guys guess who's rad this music's (laughs) cool right and uh ever since then i just stuck with it i I mean i can give you reasons why i've stuck with it but the reason i got into it was just i was four (laughs) that's a good point dom it seems like mario is for the for if you've accepted and sort of love that you're a kid and uh sonic is for the aspiring teen uh you know someone who aspires to be a teenager but isn't yet i think that is totally the vibe of, of sonic compared to mario now i could not i know it seems like you know the core of your love is you love to go fast right what a fast franchise i mean i think that's the number one thing people love flying through all those levels but like um for me the one that really connected for the first time was sonic adventure battle 2 oh yeah uh, the the, the 3d and still probably my i think the best sonic game that's been made it just really seemed to translate like the 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 flavor and tone of sonic but in like a fully realized 3d world um and uh yeah i think that one was just so good and you combine that with the chow garden where you're where you're oh, raising little chows mm-hmm. i mean it really had it really had everything and is a game that like i would still play today Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd say Sonic Adventure 2 Battles probably, if you're looking at it from like a film snobby kind of way, it's not the best game. There's glitches, there's weird ideas. But as far as distilling mm-hmm. what Sonic means to lots of people, um, tonally, the ideas that we get from it, it's, I think it's the best one. Like the story is world endingly serious, but also extremely goofy. There's a scene where Sonic gets, like Knuckles takes over a spaceship from Sonic's control. Somehow they both can drive a space shuttle that Eggman had in a pyramid. So like, this is ridiculous, but also the plot got kicked in because the military raided a scientist base and executed a guy. So it's like, wait a minute. So like, who is this for? It's like, ages 8 to 80, I guess. Um, yeah, <laughs> literally an E for everyone. Um, but like, that's, I, I think that game, the reason why I also love that one is that's sort of the one that felt the most like this is just about the mechanics of Sonic. Like this is just about how Sonic gets around and what Sonic does when he's like zip zapping around the screen. And it's less about sort of any of the other kind of like, I mean, the story's there, but it's like you said, very silly, very goofy. And the game itself, the design feels like even less graphics focused than mechanics focused, which I super appreciate because Griffin's right. Like, I mean, I played not a ton of Sonic games, love the Sonic cartoon, played Adventure Battles <laughs> or Adventure 2 Battles, and then 
that game is like just pure. I want to go fast. And that's that's the whole deal. Like it is so much fun to go fast, especially when you're not in a car. I don't like being in cars in games. <laughs> it's a game to go mm-hmm. fast and avoid cars to me. Incredible. That's why Sonic and Pod Racing are like always going to be favorites of mine. That's great. Uh, I, I think the thing that really it's getting into the deep cut of Sonic snobbery here is that people always say it's about going fast and I would slightly disagree. That's just the end result. It's about momentum, right? Yeah. Um, and about maintaining Whoa. the speed unartificially. I think the new games, you have a button, you just press it and you boost, you go super fast instantly and you blow through enemies. It's like, well, where's the challenge, especially in forces where one stage, I think if you just hold the boost button and jump five times, you'll win without pressing it. It's terrible, beautiful music. But even in Sonic Adventure 2, where you're in the mechas shooting at people, you still have a flow to it. You know, you have a momentum of having that shot, shot, shot. (laughs) It's weird, but you want to keep your momentum. And with the hunting, there's a bit of a flow until you get to space. Uh, But you're flying around, you're climbing, you're diving, you're, you're finding gems. There's a, there's a flow to it. And that's why you want to go fast is because if you're bad at it or unexperienced, you'll go slow, which is fine. Inexperienced, excuse me. Um, But once you're good at it, you're doing all these basically magic tricks. You're flying around. You're nothing but a blur. It's, it's rewarding. That, that's such a deeper way to think about it and shows that you're truly, uh, you know, an, an an expert on the genre because you're right. It's not about speed. It's about maintaining your momentum. Wow. Yeah. OK, I can't wait to use that line on other people later. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. Oh, finally, yeah. Griffin will own, <laughs> finally, Griffin can own someone on Twitch with some real <laughs> quality analysis he borrows from a podcast guest. <laughs> I mean, yeah, um, I think about all the times that Sonic felt bad. There was just no sense of momentum. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. when he, when that woman kissed him, there was a lack of momentum. Yeah, <laughs> uh, fast stages in that level in that game. Sonic's going as fast possible, straightforward. You can't slow him down, speed him up. If you jump, mm-hmm. you can't move. It was realistic, but I didn't play this Blue Hedgehog game to be realistic. I want to move in the air, and there was no momentum. It was just speed, and it it sucked. It wasn't fun. That's like, I think Sonic might move so fast he could kiss anyone without them knowing. I mean, yeah, but maybe that's not a great thing for him to do, given like the nature of like consent and like being cool and whatnot. But it is, I no, guess, technically possible. That's something he, was, like, he a, could do, yes, but yeah, um, not something he should do. And the not, should, not a pitch, not a pitch. I'm just I'm wor- look, working it out. This is a classic example of the could should distinction in action. Um, <laughs> and it's good to be on the right side of that one. Um, but you're well, totally right. Like, to cannon yeah. splitting, you know, is he <laughs> is he this kind of speed like from the movie where he can do everything in like quicksilver time, or is it the speed from the game? if he bumps into something it'll like get knocked away you know yeah yeah that is the, that is kind of where i wanted to end the sonic discussion how did you, did you feel about the movie did you feel the movie was a success and i mean just based on the numbers there is a sequel coming out so it did have a certain amount of uh connection with the audience yeah i um look the fact that it wasn't a dumpster fire i saw as a solid win um <laughs> but no i i enjoyed it It was a solid children's movie um <clears throat> i appreciate that as a at the time, 29, now 30-year-old adult. I'm not the core demographic for stuff like that. But I enjoyed it. There were cute little jokes in it. He was fast. It had references to the games. It wasn't awful. Uh, it had a worse story than Detective Pikachu, but better acting, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do you think would have made it something you would be actually excited about? And not just like, oh, this is serviceable. Oh, I, I mean, I was excited about it. Just, I, I think it would be more serviceable if they're like, we're going to use music and voice actors from the games, like connect Ooh. it. Um, and I'd be really hyped for it. But as it's still, I'm like, hey, I'm just excited to see a Sonic movie. I want to see if it's good. And yeah. they've already done so much weird canon stuff with like there were three different cartoons that I had three different canons. Uh, there's the whole Eggman versus Robotnik stuff. There's the Archie comics, the IDW. 
So when they said, hey, we're making a Sonic with Ben Schwartz and Jim Carrey, I'm like, this is just another timeline and do what you want with it. If you have if you want to attract uh, young children into the audience, good for them. You know, it's I didn't hate it. And I accept that as a win because it was a kid's movie, I think. So, yeah, I thought about this movie a lot because it's the last movie I saw in theaters before (laughs) COVID. Um, Yeah, the final film. (laughs) It was the final film for me. And so I've realized in pondering it a bunch lately that the thing I wish they could have changed about it is to make Eggman's plans as crazy as Jim Carrey plays the character. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's really wild to watch him just, like, go totally nuts and be like, man, I'm crazy. And then he's like, and my plan is a pretty tactical assault on this guy that makes pretty coherent sense as the <laughs> obvious thing anyone would think of. And it's like, well, that's mm-hmm. that kind of undercuts what made like, the most fun part of that movie was watching him go wild. And then it would always the punchline of him going wild would be like a reasonable plan that, like Cobra would have done. And it's like, oh, well, come on. Yeah. And there's like, no sense of like world domination, is there really? It's just like he hates this hedgehog. Like, yeah. was there any plan? I think he's trying to use some of Sonic's powers to make some robots maybe in the future but for the it ultimately didn't seem it, it seemed like he was like oh i'm after i get this guy i'm gonna go back to my desk job at the fbi or whatever like it, it did seem low stakes in that way yeah he's definitely <laughs> he's definitely more like um bill murray and groundhog day or not groundhog day sorry in a caddyshack rather i was just thinking of the groundhog bill murray and caddyshack mm-hmm. with the gopher then uh then he is like an evil genius like he's just in a feud with a rodent is like his main motivation which is funny in a way, but also not, I think, what the movie meant to make his main motivation be or like didn't want us to think of it that way. I think it was uh, our Spider-Man one. Um, we set up how <laughs> Sonic has his power. Well, he just there, but Robotnik got his sort of origin story. So our so- maybe mm-hmm. Sonic 2 will be our Dark Knight of Sonic games. You know, he'll try to take yes. over the world with maybe the Emeralds will show up. Maybe mm-hmm. stuff from the games will be there besides Sonic. You know, we saw Tails. So maybe he'll yeah. start capturing animals to make robots and. It'll just be goofy and say, you know what? This world rejected me. I'm going to take it over. Yeah, sure, buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this opti- Don, this optimism from you is so refreshing because when Griffin and I talk, it's always like, I didn't like this thing. Yeah, it sucked. And we're both like, yeah, that did suck. Now we feel bad. Next topic. Um, so this optimism <laughs> is like really a fucking super refreshing way to break this horrible pattern that we find ourselves stuck in all the time. It's mostly just this franchise. And, you know, but <laughs> yeah, fair. There's, um, let's find something else to shit on in a second. But hey, the, I'll, I guess I'll, the I'll last, join you on it. <laughs> the last problem for me with the Sonic movie, though, was that like they didn't they didn't expand the world of Sonic enough in the first film like the fact that tails is coming in the sequel is like that is not enough like you should be introducing more sonic characters more lore like i think about the way the lego movie built builds a world or i think about the way that like all these other franchises like build worlds in the first movie and they don't wait for five movies to build the world and and i thought that was like a little bit of a mistake yeah Um, i would agree they went that like rodent road trip movie style where oh it's like the smurfs like i need to get back to my world ah this world's not so bad like well that's not really sonic but if you're setting up this character if they could make movies it's the situation of this could have been a prequel to a movie that didn't exist but you're not gonna make your first movie sonic minus one so that's sonic one i guess (laughs) yeah yeah that's definitely Mm -hmm. that definitely feels right um do you want to talk about bowser's fairy griffin because i played it for a few hours this morning it makes me how is it? Let's talk about something that makes me a hundred percent happy. Like I'm rolling <laughs> balls right now, guys. I'm an EDC, but it's Mario. <laughs> yeah, fucking fucking uh, Campisco, but Mario. Um, it, it really did make me re- forget that there is like the properties of a Mario game, like make you just like like ambiently happy, and like <laughs> in this time of just pure depression and depravity, like I forgot that there is a cheat code to that, and that is the Mario game. 
games. Um, like I, I started in the last couple of days playing Super Mario Galaxy for the first time on my Switch. And then I transitioned and we got Super Mario 3D World yesterday with Bowser's Fury. And I just I feel incredible like that's the number one thing i want to make clear here guys yeah i feel better than ever it is very fun it's very fun it's one thing about it so i keep this is another peek into the me and griffin dms but like a lot of times griffin will text me and be like this game is incredible and then 40 hours later we'll have played it a little bit more and be like actually it's like just okay or even bad and this is the first one in a while where it was like this is incredible and then when i messaged him and i was like i think it's pretty good he was like yes it's still great i still like this game and it's it because it does hold it like it's it is what it is like it takes you 10 minutes to know what game you're playing and like basically what it's going to look like and it still rules because the whole thing is just like platforming puzzle solving jumping on guys using the different mario powers to get these different like turn on these different lighthouses and they're all these like little different like kind of i guess like courses like little mini levels that are like have one or two types of obstacle and then in classic mario style like that type of obstacle is applied in like six or seven different ways and it's just like a bajillion of those. And you get to I would describe it as Mario meets Breath of the Wild. That is so uh, in the sense insanely that, generous. Uh, no, it's not actually because uh, it's way different than Odyssey. I know we had this argument in the DMs and I, I saved my arguments so I could own you live on the pod. Um, the reason that it is like Breath of the Wild is because um, you it is not contained to different like Odyssey, which is contained to different levels that sure have exploration in them. But Larry, like what you call Super Mario 64, that too, then. Um, whereas this game is one big map uh, and, and, you know, it's still a vertical slice. It's not as full of a game as other Mario's, um, but there are different towers all over the land. And as you approach them, like challenges appear in that zone. So it's like kind of location based as opposed to like signing up for a level and going through a portal or a portrait. And so it's like more exploration based and more a sort of open worldy than we've ever seen a Mario game before. Um, and, and on top of all that, it, it has that combined with this really, really weird mechanic where like every couple minutes Bowser explodes and starts attacking you in this like Godzilla style um, way. And you can use his attacks to actually unlock new areas. And, and it just what it really says to me on a whole is like this is the blueprint for the next Mario game like this is sort of a troll it's a meme it's based on a furry joke literally it's based <laughs> on a furry joke but you know this is the this is the path for like maybe the next Mario game yeah uh, and it's very very exciting see I buy that second thing the reason I don't buy the Breath of the Wild comp 100% is that it doesn't have quite the same breadth of scale like it kind of short yeah. speeds you to places it doesn't have as much sort of like focus on the characters, character building kind of stuff. Obviously, it's a Mario game, so that's why it feels very different to me than that, but I will agree totally that this does feel like a test run for a different style of doing Mario because there are things about it that are insanely cool. Um, one thing I love about Mario is that the level design is, like, always really beautiful and, like, extremely, like, extremely artful, and this game is no exception. Like, the way it starts is, like, you're on a walking path and there's Bowser fireballs dropping that, like, kind of guide you around and teach you, like, how to jump and where to go and how to run and how to break things because you're just trying to not get hit by fireballs and there's no like tutorial it just becomes like very obvious what to do in the way that really good Mar or mario design does but and then they apply that throughout which is sweet and i think that's great for like an open world kind of game the way you're talking about griffin where you like go places and there's like hidden challenges and each one is like a little mini mario one one kind of thing um and uh, yeah it's it's very fun it is a very vertical slice like it's not you're not going to like get mega spice out of any of it after like two like you're it's, it's fun the whole time but like after like two hours i was like well I don't feel like platforming anymore, so I'm going to go do something else. And like, that is what 
it mostly is, but that's fine. Like that's all it's trying to be. So like, it's not like criticism It's just sort of a, it's a limited thing. Like you said, it's a vertical slice. No. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's a situation of, this is sort of a derogatory way to, to say it, but I feel like sometimes Mario games are considered, at least spinoffs are baby's first X. Um, like Mario Kart might be your first driving game, but then they had mm-hmm. like the Mario Rabbids is like, this is baby's first XCOM. I mean, God, it's not actually like it gets pretty it's difficult, hard. but like it's, yeah. it's brutal. The aesthetics, yeah. like it's not about war. People aren't permanently dying, but it is like this is XCOM through like a color, colorful filter. Do you think this could be like someone's introduction to somewhat open world things? Like you don't have to build your character up and fall off a of mountains, um, but it has that Breath of the Wild thing. Like every couple nights, Ganon would reset everything. That kind of feels like every now and then. Calamity Bowser pops out of the ground to yeah. mess with you. Do you think it's it sort of like a, Bowser, yeah. like a small <laughs> way to just get people into the genre that might be intimidated by a hundred hour like Assassin's Creed or something? I think that's spot on, man. I think it's exactly what what's going on here because it is. It goes. It gives you. It tickles that same pleasure center because like you see. One thing that's very similar to Breath of the Wild is you'll see a lighthouse in the distance where you'd see a mountain in the distance in Breath of the Wild. And you'd be like, oh, I want to go check out that lighthouse. And then you get there and then this level just appears and it's like time to do the blue coin bustle or whatever the dumb Mario style level name is. And then you go mm-hmm. do it and it's super fun. And I think that uh, does kind of tickle the same part of your brain as like, I wonder what's in that shrine. I wonder what's over that mountain stuff in Breath of the Wild. And so I think you're totally right that it does. It does feel like baby's first open world explorer in that kind of way. I think sometimes a Mario, maybe with its presentation and style, um, at first seems like games that are only made for babies. But then if like to, to the to the keen eye, like the the simplicity, there's a lot of complexity in the simplicity. And not only that, but, you know, it, it is like functionally all of these games have more ideas than like any any other franchise like even in the smallest of baby yeah. games they are there there is something like refined and bursting with ideas um and no matter like what genre they do stuff in and so while they may appear more immediately approachable i find that even the simplest mario games tend to be bursting with um subtle mechanics and ideas that you don't see in other games yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's and one Nintendo. of those is motherfucking Plessy. Uh, Plessy <laughs> is a sea monster. It's basically water Yoshi and you ride Plessy around and there's just like this really sort of like um, like uncanny ability where Plessy just rises out of the water wherever you are like <laughs> normally in open world games you have to like summon a horse and sometimes the horse is like is like halfway through a tree or like running the opposite way from you like like there's very few games with the open world horse really just feels good when you call it um and you don't even call it in this one you literally just like you jump off a ledge you fall into the ocean and plessy just appears out of the water and there's just like something so simple and fun about that uh that, that uh I, I, yeah i guess maybe it may not be as hard uh but it, it is it's, it is like a simple refined process that is really really enjoyable yeah i mean the simplicity of mario games is why they're like design wise some of the best games ever like always they're uh-huh. always like design wise so interesting to think about because they have so they give themselves such weird strictures and push them in such crazy directions. Like you have Plessy who can only do a few things, but there's a bunch of really fun, like ride Plessy, do all these crazy jumps and rad stunts and try and get this coin in 20 seconds, like little missions. And it's like, Oh cool. There's a little like, like kind of like burnout style fucking speed runs stuck in the middle of this Mario game in a way that totally fits aesthetically and like mechanically with the rest of the game. And it's like, Whoa, 
you guys are really smart at video games. God damn. Mm-hmm. And cool. also they're, they are adding new things to the Mario franchise that has like never been seen before. One is an inventory system. So like this is another reason why Lux, I'm saying it's more like Breath of the Wild is because literally like you store up power ups that transform you into different things and you save them for certain like platforming challenges uh and so it's like you want to save up cat power up so you can turn to the cat so you can scale up these like certain areas and so like yeah like there's like the inventory management isn't super hardcore and you're like not gonna like be like fucked if you don't if you don't focus on it hardcore but it, it, it is like a new thing and so yeah it's like while i think lux is right that most of the levels do end up having sort of similar collect the blue coin stuff i think that the structure of what they've built with bowser's furry is like is a is a way to like fill it with more interesting content for like a main an, a main game maybe next year or the year after that I think refined is the the key word there. Um, I just want to make it clear, like when I say babies first, I was just like, you know, making sort of a joke. Um, but refined is perfect. Like you, you talk about how Plessy just comes out of the water when you need them. Like why not do that? Like what do you, what do you benefit from having to call them to you? You know, what do you mm-hmm. benefit from an, a, a complex inventory system? Um, like I remember playing Breath of the Wild. Like I wouldn't say it necessarily enriched my experience to have to get more inventory slots. Like it was kind of yes. a pain, like to start with three weapons, and then it never really tells you that you can do that. I had a friend who didn't use guides online. I said I'm too old for that, but he got through <laughs> most of the game without realizing you could expand your inventory. I'm like that must have been awful. Like oh my <laughs> like, god, why would, you, like, why would you not look up to see like because if you don't run into the tree dude, you're just never going to know that you can do that. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. And just like uh, your sword breaks every two minutes. Yeah. So it's like, how did he do that? So I don't I don't know Damn. if he just eventually brute forced it or found him just by coming every square. But that yeah. didn't really enrich the experience for me. But having a few power ups that I can carry with me. Cool. Let's do it. So I, and then it lets you since I know that you're never going to have more than X amount of items and you're only going to have these 10. I can make a stage. It's like, OK, bring a cat power up. Then you're going to need to switch to, I don't know, wing cap or something. I know mm-hmm. that you can have so few slots so I can make better, more interesting levels off that. Mm-hmm. I being Nintendo, yeah. I can't make levels. I, I can't program. <laughs> so there's been a there's been a discussion, guys, about is this a core Mario game? And a lot of people saying, no, it's not a core Mario game. And I just wanted to ask the question to you guys. What does core even mean? And I'll define it myself. Core, <laughs> when I describe core, Uh, to a franchise it is a game that is vital unique and you simply aren't a fan if you haven't played it and i think that bowser's furry checks all three of those boxes what what do you guys think i mean by that criteria then yeah uh i guess i'll call a core game anything where you're doing the predominant thing that character is known to do so if you're mario you're running and jumping on stuff you're getting power-ups that's a mario game um if you're primarily swinging around a tennis racket or in a cart it's not a core game, but you okay, should still fair. play it. But how much does it matter, I guess, is... But, but I mean, then it, then it's like Mario Kart, definitely a core game, probably, right? He's not running and jumping, so... Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I guess by that standard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Dom, Dom's uh, definition makes a lot of sense. Like, because especially in the context... This game's a really good sort of edge case, right? Where it's like, this is a small game. It doesn't feel as like big a deal as like Odyssey or Galaxy or anything, but... It introduces some new mechanics. It's obviously kind of pushing Mario in a direction. You're doing classic Mario stuff in a huge way. It's hard to argue this isn't like a core and eventually kind of will be considered kind of a classic or at least initial like precursor to a classic Mario eventually. So it's hard mm-hmm. to call it not a core game. 
Um, and I just think that, yeah, anything that like experiments or pushes the Mario limits of Mario doing Mario stuff is a core game. Anything else is a peripheral game. Like, I love Mario Strikers. My God, it's incredible. <laughs> um, I would play that game for hours at a time as a child. And I'd You're probably do the same thing today. That game, that <laughs> game there, rules. Any And super, there's running and jumping in that one, though. Yeah, but there's also soccer is the main thing. So it feels a little bit, you're not jumping <laughs> on, guys. You're not platforming. We get to get, you know, Griffin, I know you're the king of gotcha journalism, but I think this one's pretty <laughs> locked up. Um, I'll gotcha yeah. myself real quick. Could you consider Breath of the Wild a core Zelda game? Because you could make the you can make the argument there's not dungeons where you're getting new power-ups so Ooh. like it so what's the core mechanic of zelda is it that stuff or is it the going around like slashing enemies exploring and like you know i don't really well, know i'm not a huge i'm not really into zelda i only played hyrule warriors and breath of the wild so like <laughs> i think since i think since mechanically the zelda games change so much i think the core of the zelda game is is like the narrative stuff i think the mm-hmm. narrative is what ties that series together in a way that doesn't work the same with Mario because Mario narrative stuff is sort of like, eh, one day they all decided they were going to play tennis. <laughs> like that's like the story of Mario. You know what I mean? But like the Mario game, the Zelda games are all, it's like back and forth of like Zelda link Ganon, this like triangle of, of weird violence and like the things that happen to them because of all their various actions, whether it's like link accidentally Ocarina of timing himself into Majora's mask or whatever else stuff kind of goes on. Um, they're all kind of tied within, if not a strict continuity, like a kind of narrative consistency. Um, but, uh, Mario games don't have that benefit in the same way. And so I think that's the core thing because like, you're right. Like the first, the initial Zelda games, like look nothing like Ocarina of Time, which looked like kind of nothing like Wind Waker, which don't look anything like Breath of the Wild. Um, and so I think there is like a real, aside from like you're smashing, I mean, maybe it's just you're smashing pots and getting rubies. Like that's the, <laughs> no, no, no. It's the core of any Zelda game is getting, uh, friend zoned by Zelda. If Link gets friend zoned by Zelda, it's a core Zelda game. <laughs> hmm. Is that, is so, that, that's, that's just the narrative stuff. That's just how all the Zelda games. <laughs> so what about the CDI game? The, <laughs> the second, he, the, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> that's a story. So. Um, but, uh, and also you do get power ups the breath of the wild dungeons they just aren't useful um <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, taxonomies are hard man this is you do get difficult. you do get powers from it though um but uh yeah yeah i just um the the last thing i guess i, I wanted to say was i am surprised that a game that is basically like a meme furry joke is is just the game like it really they really <laughs> did it like i mean everything is a cat mario's dressed up like a cat and the game is called bowser's furry uh is this uh what is this what is happening here are they trying to corrupt our children <laughs> obviously yes but you know that's 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 just video games you know yeah. that's a demic <laughs> to the genre i think um i don't know it's i mean sonic mania is like not a dissimilar thing where like fan pressure and sort of fan discourse like generates a thing sometimes and sometimes that thing whips ass especially from companies that are like trying to tap into sort of fan like pre-existing fan interest like i think sometimes fan shit is awful we've talked about the last of us two on this podcast a million times um but sometimes it does drive like really cool innovative and different stuff because there are people who like care a lot about these games and there's like this is the fun shit and sometimes the company's like oh that's the fun shit let's give it to them and then you get a game that's all fun shit and we love that because it's a fucking game um, I get cranky about people forgetting that games are supposed to be fun sometimes. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. they totally are. I mean, as someone who takes this shit too seriously, people take video games too damn seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, if it's if it's not, like, bigoted garbage shit and hurting people, like, it's not, it, it's not that worth getting, like, that upset about, you know? 
Yeah. I'm going to get mm-hmm. upset about games in probably 20 minutes or half an hour. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, I mean that's um, the nature of this podcast is us talking about how things don't matter as much as that we as people think they do, and then getting super upset at each other over small disagreements about video games. So that's for sure, I think, a dynamic of a lot of or like the relational dynamic of a lot of people to games. The um the 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 last thing I'll say is that like aside from Bowser's is that Super Mario 3D World, which is the second game attached to it, is just really really solid. Uh, there, I mean, I didn't ever really buy a Wii U, so there is like an era of Nintendo games that I've just never played, and I think the Switch is like the perfect place. Uh, to sort of shelter those forgotten games. And yeah, it's just like a solid, fun little uh, Mario World game. Uh, it's pretty 2D. I mean, it's 3D, but it's mainly simple kind of platforming. And it's just it's just nice. It's just fun. And uh, they didn't cut the, the 3D World penis. It still remains uncut. There is a full penis in the game. Uh, and the P is stored in the balls, apparently. And that's it's, Bowser's they, Furry? They, they continue memeing. Bowser's Furry uh, Balls? Is that what we're saying? Or? <laughs> no, no, there is a full dick in the game. Uh, there's a, I'm there sorry, is, what? Uh, <laughs> there, there, there is. Super Mario 3D World Penis. Uh, I'm not Googling I mean, that. I'll, 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 put it, I'll put it in the chat. I'll, I'll message each of you guys this right now in, in Discord. Me, you cannot make me Google that. <laughs> I'm sending it to both of you. I'm DMing both of you right now. All right. I'm extremely excited to. Oh, hello. Mm-hmm. Man, some of the stuff that is on this website is hilarious. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I remember this. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's where the P stored. What st- what stage is this? Oh, World Four. Okay. Oh yep. wow! Unbelievable. I remember that. Yeah. I remember and the fact that they put what like a coin at the end of it or yeah, some a star. Reward, a star. <laughs> yeah. It it's it's the. T- it's the two P blocks that really sell it. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's oh, incredible. Man. They can't keep getting away with this, folks. Uh, I, I'm going to start some sort of uh, some sort of like uh, what was the one that was against? Uh, what was that crazy church? Westboro Baptist. I'm going to be the Westboro Baptist of Mario. I don't man. know if that's a winning position to take, man. That's just like being lame, like a, a being cops and annoying at the same time. <laughs> Um, instead, yeah, yeah. embrace it and be like, it's cool that they put memes in their games because it's fun. Until it becomes annoying, like let them keep doing it. What's the? You what know? would you? What would you consider the? I don't know. I feel like we have the inverse problem in games. Like, like if you kind of remove cleavage or like butts from a game, people get super mad. They're like, yeah. we need tons of sex in games. It's like, I mean, it can be there, but bro, it's just like a shot. Like, I'm I'm sure you'll see a butt in this game. Relax. Yeah. Yeah. Video games have the inverse Westboro, the the Eastboro. Yeah, the gamer's church. The, yeah, they have a they have a, they have a real like a uh, church of the ecstasy of the flesh thing going on where everyone just like <laughs> wants to be as fucking yeah. It's crazy how fucking weirdly horny for like po- polyagonal butts people get on like and how mad they get about being deprived of their horniness for polyagonal butts. It's like wean yourself off, dudes. Like you don't you don't need to see fucking every like, Mortal Kombat ladies cleavage in every frame of that game. I promise. As a okay. kid, it felt like a cheat code. As a kid, it felt like a cheat code to porn like if there was like boobs or scantily clad people in a video game like when you're a kid it was like oh well i don't have access to anything more mature than that and that's kind of the cheat code and people still are acting like that's the only way to get sexy images it's like you guys are old now like it's right like if you said this everyone, on twitter you have access to pornography like every yeah. one of your co-workers started an only fans this week okay yeah. it's 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 there's it's stuff out there you should support 
support your local sex workers. That's yeah, a, absolutely. That's subscribe to your coworkers only fans. Fucking solidarity for sure. But, All 84 million of them. Yeah. Um, but man, uh, you actually yeah. you've hit on something kind of really kind of bizarre about this that is true is like if you're horny for the video game person, you're not going to fucking jack off while you're playing a video game. That's crazy. You're busy. But there is like legitimately porn of every video game character that you can just Google. Like you don't mm-hmm. the, the premium for sexy versions of fucking yeah. like of, you know, uh, Qatar or whatever. Anyone from uh, fuck. I'm getting so confused now. Um, <laughs> sexy versions of, of like Chun-Li or whatever are they're not the video games, not where you find them. And it shouldn't be where you find them. That's where you focus on like quarter circle punch Chun-Li. It's like there's a whole Internet of rule 34 shit for all of this. Um, mm-hmm. So just get out of here. Let the games just be cool looking instead of having to be fucking horny all the time. That's my take. And there's horny games out there. Like, yeah, there's a whole like side of like indie games that are just about like, we're going to make a horny game. And then there's stuff like Hades, which is not about that. But like everybody's hot and the game is openly horny. So like, I think they're just mad because this people are mad because their fetishes aren't being catered to like, yeah. like, oh, there's not hot people in games. I'm like, yeah, there are. They're like, but I don't get to see like cleavage and butts. I'm like. That's one type of hot. Sorry for your loss, bro. Like, yeah, yeah we are experiencing a new type of hot with the Resident Evil lady, which I'm sure you've seen. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a hot that we've really never experienced before, because, yes, I mean, there is cleavage, but I mean, she's largely clothed and um, way bigger than uh, than you. <laughs> uh, and that that's a new type of horniness uh, that, that I've seen. And it made me it's a more positive type. Yeah. I'd say so. It's it seems like it's a sign of uh, at least a lot of circles are run, and it seems like queer horniness is seeping into the mainstream because I just see so much like step on me queen, and I'm like, yo, I I don't remember everyone saying that as much before. So like, dope. Yeah, and yeah. Mm-hmm. It seems to be mostly her height. Like, yeah, th- the titties are there, but it seems mostly to be the hat and the height. Yeah, which that's why gamers are so progressive today. Yeah, famously, famously so. Um, mm-hmm. Surely no one's tweeting about the Last of Us TV show in a way that makes me angry. Um, can't be uh, happening. Okay. Do, you, do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, there was some there was some casting shenanigans happening. Uh, it, it was actually really annoying because they they said that. Uh, who, what did they say? Uh, they said that um, they, they were announcing casting for the show. And they're like, oh, we we've offered it to who'd they offer to Mahershala Al Ali. It's that, that uh, was reported, although I, who knows how true any of that shit is. Um, but yeah, that was reported. But they, they reported that they're going to do Mahershala Ali to be, to play Joel. And I was like, oh, OK, they, they just like they want yeah. they like they want to court. <laughs> They're like, okay, cool. I'm all, I'm all for it. Uh, but they definitely, they're looking for a fight. Um, and then, um, hours later we were robbed of that. And now it is, uh, what the fuck is his face? Uh, uh Pedro Pascal from yeah. Pedro Pascal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I, I gotta say it's, it is good. He's a great actor. He's fun and everything he's in, but we just saw him in the Mandalorian do a very similar type of relationship <laughs> between, uh, a big brute and a small little person. They're taking on a journey to protect. And I just don't want Pedro to like fall into the same trap that, uh, I've seen like many, uh, specifically the game of Thrones people fall into. I mean, if you look at it, it's like, 
like motherfucking Arya from Game of Thrones is on a new TV show where she's a young girl killer who has a list of names. And it's just so pathetic. <laughs> it's just it's just so pathetic. Like if, if like uh, you have a lot of options of roles after Game of Thrones and that's what you do. Well, she's done, other, of she's done a bunch of other stuff since but then, it does, too. Yeah, but it's all been similar type of roles. And I just like I, I just am a little disappointed uh, with it. I, I don't know. I just what do you guys think? Um, it's it, I, w- I always wonder about like. On, is it on the actor side, the agent side or the, the company side, you know, like, oh, we offered it to Mahershala. Like, OK, that's that's interesting. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if you're just courting controversy or if you think he's the best lead for it. I don't know what you're doing, but I, I like when I do video game ad- adaptations, I want the person to look one to one. I mean, if they found a black guy that looked exactly like Joel, I'd be like, hey, they one to one. Um, But I think they just got Mahershala as like fun. Pedro, I don't mm-hmm. think looks like him really either. So it's like, OK, we could go any direction then. And I don't know if they scouted him or if he tried out for the role. Like, why would you want to play less futuristic Mandalorian? Um, but if you're Last of Us, like, guys, get the Mandalorian. He can he can do it. So I don't I'm not really sure where it's uh, casting is. Yeah, out on that. I mean, Nic- Nikolai Coster Waldo is the obvious pick. Uh, uh, Jamie from Game of Thrones. He looks exactly like Joel. And it, it is a one to one. Pedro will do a good job. But I just uh, I don't know. Like, when what is the point of this story? Like, I just I, I don't know if the heights of this TV show will be higher than the heights of the narrative in in, in the game. I, I'm just not sure if this is like I just, I don't know. I'm Pedro I'm, will be fine. I I'm guess. excited about the Pedro Pascal thing, if only from like a sort of more zoomed out like how does this guy pull it off perspective? Because the acting style of the Mandalorian is like so distinct from most acting styles because he's in a mask and armor the entire time. He doesn't True. get to like he's, do. He's a voice actor. He's a voiceover actor. Let's be real. He's not on set for any of that shit. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, or maybe for a little. Who knows how the production works? But the point is that he doesn't get to do face stuff. He doesn't get to like use his body in the same way he normally would. He doesn't get to interact with things the way he normally would. Um, and so it'll be interesting to me, I think, to see like he's in a similar role with a whole different set of tools. Uh, to play with and I think it'd be really interesting just from like a craft perspective to see how he does with it because he's a very talented fucking dude um, who's done a lot of really impressive shit and so to me the idea that he could play a sort of unwilling father who father figure who ends (laughs) up coming around to their young ward in a dangerous situation in two like radically different ways would be a very cool acting challenge Um, so can you do the physical version I I guess is what you're looking at yeah you could see him do the expressive face stuff and like that totally change like and that changes how he has to do his voice acting because, like, the way he talks can like be complimented by his face rather than be the only thing driving the car. Plus, you're, you're describing basic acting without a helmet on your face. Right, but, no, but, right, but that's a different fucking thing. Like, that's a different yeah, thing. True. It's, he an, hasn't, it's true. He hasn't been acting. And it's, it's he's an, been voiceovering. Well, it's. An, I see. I don't think that's true. I think he's in costume on set doing physical acting stuff. But you really think he? You think they pay him to be on set for all those scenes where he where he doesn't have to be? I yeah, I totally do. I don't know why you really. Well, why I mean, hire like why hire him? Like why hire all Disney that? money? I'm doing whatever. Like I'm just flexing. Like I'll pay someone to just stand in the background just because yeah. I have Disney money. <laughs> yeah, he's like, like he's a talented physical performer. So like, why not have a dude who's good at physical acting do the physical acting? And I'm sure they have Pedro Pascal isn't in the Mandalorian suit as much as you think. Well, Star Wars is no stranger to using doubles and stand-ins. Uh, it's not like James Earl Jones was on set to shout Darth Vader's lines at everyone. Well, let's see. Where's the? What's your source on that? <laughs> Uh, my source is uh, griffin.com. It's his <laughs> yeah, okay. Site. Yeah, um, okay. 
No, oh. no, no. It's real. I'm reading of a site. I don't know. Collider. Um, okay. Oh, I'm just, I'm curious what the scale of that is. Cause I think that like, he probably does get covered. Oh, for, weird. Like, Here's another quote. Anyone who thought that he'd be in the suit is a total idiot. Not a great TV critic and probably should never watch the show. Weird. Um, I'm pretty sure he's in the suit That's more. Mean, than, I'm pretty sure he's in the suit more than you think he is. He's probably let in the suit. Not. I don't think he's in the suit all the time, right? He doesn't do like the action sequences and shit. But like, why would you not have him in the suit for like all of those sort of like dialogue scenes or like be- because it be- because it would cost more money and time. And he's literally in like ten movies a year. There's just no way that he signed up to be on set where they don't use his face. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my own research on this. Uh, all right, yeah, do my own research. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm well, do my own research, uh, brother. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You, uh, you, uh, oh, weird. Uh, Pedro Pascal physically played the Mandalorian much more in season two. Explains how he approaches his performance. Huh. Interesting what you choose to click on, isn't it, Griffin? It's interesting that it's like both less than you think and more than you think. It's like, well, how much do you think he's in there? 50%. Uh, it's, (laughs) yeah, totally. Here's the one thing, though. If I wish that Pedro Pascal had pulled a Joel at the end of Mandalorian season two and just murdered Luke Skywalker and everyone on the ship. Uh, <laughs> and then it could have been like some fun alternate timeline where Luke got murked by a random guy. Uh, <laughs> I think that would have been cool. Um, and yeah, that's yeah. where I'm at with the series. The Randolorian. Now, that would have been yeah, interesting the, to see some, just like a different perspective. <laughs> like we get it. it. They're like, oh, I get it. Luke Skywalker is, is the best. Cool. Like, great. Uh, I can't wait to see like another when they come up with the next three movies and Luke's dead. But like he comes back as a force ghost as the most important Jedi again. Like, cool. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's true. J.J. Abrams t- kind of tanked that timeline. So like, why not just fucking spin it off Days of Future yeah. Past style and just do something different? Why respect it at all? Luke is a total like, oh, God, the more I think about Luke, he's like my least favorite character. He's awful. Uh, I mean, he's just a whiny. He's a whiny bitch. And then he's like gifted a lot um, just through, I guess, like blood heritage. Uh, and then um, literally like after the success, after his successes, he leads the universe in a cyclical approach that brings space Nazis back once again. And so it's like, okay, so you were pretty much useless. Like, why is he a hero? I mean, um, I think that's what Ryan Johnson was trying to say is like, yo, I'm done because mm-hmm. I fucked up. And by the way, I'm going to recognize it on screen. The old Jedi fucked up too. And the yeah. best way for me to atone for this is to fight these space Nazis in the, the least violent way possible. They will only kill me and no one else will die. And I'm done. I fixed what I did. And J.J. Abrams and like half the fans were like, no, Luke would go in there and kill everybody. And like, so you didn't get it either then. So, okay, yeah. cool, 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 cool. Yeah, it, uh, it is fun to like see someone who like his entire life revolves around a role like Mark Hamill and for him to still not understand it. It's incredible. It's like it really goes to show that like acting and like good actors is a not it's not always an intellectual pursuit, but like a visceral emotional pursuit. And like Mark Hamill is a great actor even if he literally does not understand his characters and you see that with a lot of of performers you really do and it's like you're shocked at when you hear what some of these people say about their characters later um because acting maybe isn't as intellectual and and you know i think the more people intellectualize acting like often the worse they are they go to four years of acting school they come out with all these lists in their head of things they need to do about their character and they're all in their head with it it's like i much prefer just like a dumb guy who can say the lines on screen and then like doesn't even really know what the story means it's like not, that tip that seems more successful well it's not normatively one way or the other and it's interesting who actually are the actors who super intellectualize it like nick cage 
stage, if you listen to him talk about his acting choices, super intellectualizes all of his acting choices to a degree that is like utterly fucking shocking. Like he has Mm -hmm. an interview about Moonstruck where he's like, mostly I was thinking about Nosferatu and Metropolis. (laughs) And here's why. And how I brought That's that to so the role. Based. And it's oh, like, fuck. Nick Cage, what? <laughs> like, you just were screaming about bread in this movie. What is going on? Um, <laughs> I mean, I think it works because he goes for everything that he does. Like, he never half asses yeah. it. So he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll scream, like, in what was it, Mom and Dad? He's like, anal beads. Like, I'll scream that on a movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, who cares? I did 50 movies last year. Like, who cares if the. Half of them are good. Like. But he'll also like think about which like weird German expressionist style of screaming he's going to bring right. to mom and dad, which is like the, it, it's Nick Cage is so fascinating to me, not because of he's crazy on screen, but because of that duality where everything he does is so intense and kind of like wild and, and sort of off kilter. But he's clearly thinking about it in like a like four years of acting school and a postgraduate degree kind of way. And it's like those two things don't drive. But it is true that like there is like it's it's neither like strictly emotional or strictly intellectual. And there's definitely a balance and like a weird variance of that. But it is mm-hmm. true that like sometimes you get dudes who are just like really great actors who like don't give a shit or no shit about the character they're playing. And sometimes you get dudes who are really great actors who like could quote you the whole fucking wiki page. And it's just like a weird range. Which brings me to my real question, which is, do you think Mark Hamill was driven crazy by having to play the Joker? Griffin, this is sort of your area of expertise. I think I kept him sane, honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I think it kept him afloat. <laughs> the only he's hyper sane now in the words of Arkham read, Asylum. He got to read good dialogue. Like even he was like, yeah, like there's like some old interview of him as a kid. Like yeah, Her- like Harrison Ford was like George Lucas. I'm gonna like tie you up and make you read your own dialogue. This is so bad. Yeah. So there's also the idea of maybe Mark Hamill was thinking about decisions Luke <laughs> might make after like being directed, and then George Lucas wrote something else. He's like, so like. Wh- what am I supposed like? What's my motivation here? Is it to save my friends? Is it to avenge people? Do I hate my dad? Am I forgiving him? And George is like, yeah, 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 all that. Like, those <laughs> don't match. Like, so you ask him, is Luke yeah, a badass? Like, I played him like one, so I don't know how he's written, but yeah, yeah. My my favorite performance, my favorite <laughs> Mark Hamill, my favorite Mark Hamill Joker performance would have to be in the Last Jedi because <laughs> I don't think Mark Hamill was ever more Jokerified than on the set in the interviews and even on camera and in, in, I mean you can feel the seething rage or just right underneath the surface of a man ready to break a man who's lost everything and doesn't even know the way the world works anymore uh and and yeah I mean like yeah obviously a great voice actor but I would say that The Last Jedi is his most jokerified role uh being in a movie that directly contradicts with his entire world worldview and it like melting his brain uh and I think that was awesome too. like he played the world. he still did a good job <laughs> My favorite, yeah, did a decent uh, job. my favorite Mark yeah. Hamill role is Skips from Regular Show. Whoa. Nice. Great call. <laughs> he just comes Great in call. and just does the work. And <laughs> yeah. But but just as we put, you know, uh, our orange president to bed and sort of this past era of culture, you know, I've said on the podcast before, we're not in the Joker era anymore. This is the Biden administration. We're getting Riddler pilled. <laughs> okay. This is the Riddler That's- era. This is where $2,000 checks turn into 800 check. You know, like this is, you have to answer three riddles in order to get, uh, you know, any kind of stimulus. Like the, the Riddler is the new era. <laughs> And anyone who wants to keep talking about the Joker is is again clinging to the past. And I must Kylo Ren them. If you li- if relief you'd like to see, answer me these mean tests three. <laughs> I think um, you're totally right about that though, because you yeah. think about the Joker. We don't necessarily know why he's doing the things he does, but we yes. understand what he's doing and what his goal is, and it's usually chaos and pain. 
the orange <laughs> man, he was just chaos and pain. Like, to what end? You already apparently have power in your head. What more do you want to hurt people? Then there's Biden. Yeah. I have no clue what he's doing. It's like, yeah, he's we hope he's going to kill us people, but we don't really know what he's doing. <laughs> we have to figure it out. So, yeah, I yeah, like yeah. your metaphor. We yeah, are in the Riddler not- era. <laughs> It's not mm-hmm. a bad. It's not a bad one. I still, I'm not going to buy it a hundred percent until someone makes anything with the Riddler in it during the era. Um, until then, I think maybe we could find a better metaphor. But you're not the wrong. The new Batman, the new Batman movie, is, stars Riddler. Is it? Is it really? The Matt As Reeves Paul one. Dano. Paul oh, Dano is the Riddler. The, whoa. Okay. Well, once. All right. Maybe. Maybe it's all truly coming together for another win for the Davis prediction system. Is yeah. Profit. Um, <laughs> aside, you mm-hmm. know, honestly, almost undefeated except for the Joe Biden VR game, which we still have yet to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the, we we lost a lot of funding over the year, and it went it went downhill. Uh, the executives pushed uh, crazy deadlines on us, and I pulled the plug. I'm not. I'm not having anyone crunch on a Joe Biden video game. Okay. Um, well, you know. I'm I'm feeling pretty good here. Okay, uh, you both of you guys said I was right about something, and I don't think that we could end the episode better there. Uh, Lux, is there anything a- anything else we missed? Um, not really. We were going to talk about character stuff, but we ended up just riffing, having a good time for an hour. So I don't think it's worth doing a whole. We talked segment. about the character, the character of content, culture, and video games. That's true. You know, we talked about character in a more abstract way, and that's a beautiful thing. So I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with it. Yeah, it was so awesome to have you on, Dom. Uh, Dom, you. where can people find you in terms of the your own podcasting and you know? Uh, all that stuff. Yeah. So uh, if you want to find me anywhere on the internet, you can do that just by searching Brother Dom. That's going to be Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, B R O T H A D O M. Uh, brother, just, it's great. Uh, if you want to find my podcast, that's going to be on Twitter at Character Rev. So two R's in the middle or Character Reveal.simplecast.fm. Uh, again, we do a podcast where we just interview people doing stuff, mostly creators, but you know, other things as well. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever Google's doing. Uh, most podcast catchers will find us. And yeah, we're like on Instagram at Character Reveal. We post clips and previews and stuff like that. So just find Hell me yeah. around on the internet. Just uh, having hot takes, getting pissed off about Overwatch. So, you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> the majority of my content. Are you still playing Overwatch? Yeah, I don't know why. Uh, still on the competitive I, okay. grind. <laughs> Well, well, this is an incredible time for people like you and me because I, I used to play a lot of Overwatch and in, in, in a couple of days at, at BlizzCon, they are going to, a uh, little insider info here for you guys, they are going to announce that Overwatch is becoming free to play, which is going to inject new life into the game. And they are also adding the Battle Pass model, uh, like in other games like Fortnite or Warzone or something. And so I think there's about to be a lot more new content added to the game, especially since we just postponed Overwatch to for at least a their year and a half i really hope you're right <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, it's, it's gonna uh, happen mark my words and we'll, we'll have you back on to talk more overwatch um awesome <clears throat> as for oh, me yeah. guys twitch.tv slash choom room uh weekdays starting at 5 p.m pacific uh yeah come on come on in take your medicine um yeah last thing is uh last night or i guess you'll be hearing this on wednesday but uh we're recording on saturday last night was party world wrestling presents pwr third saga or pwr guide and third saga the saint burgers time massacre um, that's going to be up on YouTube by the time you hear this. It's also archived on Twitch at twitch.tv slash party world wrestling. Um, it is a banger. I think I was very fucking happy with how that shit came out. Griffin, you watched last night. It was pretty fucking there good. There were right? some 
thick fucking hits. There were some backwards kicks. There were some insane slams. uh, And uh, there was some of the grossest burgers I've ever seen. Now, I've seen an old burger. I've seen a cold burger. Um, These burgers were like made out of little shit. What was in those burgers? It's as though you have never seen a piece of foam painted brown and hot glued to two pieces (laughs) of bread before. Well, I can't can't tell from the camera angle how far away it is. I mean, it, it looked, I mean, okay. Well, wait, then one of them got eaten, though. Yeah, two people ate them. I did not tell them to do that. <laughs> okay, well, then how? So I'm the one that's supposed to, I'm confused. Like, no, I'm, glad on, the, like, I'm glad the kayfabe holds, I'm glad the kayfabe holds up. Um, <laughs> they, they ate them. How am I supposed to know they're fake? Yeah, it's wild that they ate them. Um, <laughs> no one asked them to do that. No one. It made me upset. Um, but yeah, check that shit out. It fucking, it rules. Uh, you can get. Also, the merch at PWR.website. Uh, we have cool shirts uh, that we're selling. Um, and that's, I think, it for us this week, except for every week we have to make sure we mention. Check out Haley on Instagram and YouTube at Eat Every Sound and also on the Memory Static Podcast where she shows up fairly often. So go support her. She's the best producer in the dang biz. Mm-hmm. Folks, it's about momentum, not speed. <laughs>